Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 386 on Tuesday, the 16th of March, 2021. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we want people to know that if they wish to get cross about a pilot scheme for urban areas, you can do it two whole weeks earlier with us rather than the BBC. But in the meantime, we'll be taking a deep breath before we get to Bath. We find out that drivers may soon get more of a shock on motorways, and we celebrate bookshelves. But first, I am going to take us to Bath and the clean air zone that was unveiled, opened, came into force, started charging, whatever opening phrase we want to use, from Monday. (laughs) Uh, And that is their, their revised clean air zone that was supposed to come in in November. Has now is now in place. So uh, this is a government-defined Class C clean air zone, uh, and it is not charging cars and motorbikes. Only the heaviest emitting, as this Motoring Research article puts it, the heaviest emitting HGVs, buses, and coaches, which will be charged up to £100 a day to enter the clean air zone. Uh, then uh, non-compliant vans, taxis, private hires, and minibuses will pay £9 a day. Yeah, we were discussing this actually be- before we started recording. And I was pointing out that that whilst that seems a bit, it might seem a little bit lame, I actually think that it will have a very positive effect very quickly because I tend to find that and this is as someone who was stuck behind one today, manky old buses that get put on regional routes by bus companies uh, really are pretty disgusting. Yep. Um, as I sat behind one of Stagecoach's finest with a plume of blue smoke, enjoying the uh, enjoying the, the, the diesel particulates coming in the, the sunroof of my car. So do they, and, not have, uh, they, they can't have the same... Um, visible tailpipe, vis- um, visible emission well, MOT. They should do. They should do. I know they should, but, but I think it must be different. Yeah. It must be slightly different. I don't know how they get away with it. I think it, but mind you, the same could be said for an awful lot when it comes to some of the UK's larger transport companies. Uh, but actually, just getting rid of these stinking old buses, mm. I imagine, will make a significant difference in forcing newer, cleaner, uh, newer cleaner buses onto uh onto onto bus routes uh will should be a big positive from this so so please don't go thinking that this is a bit of a nothing uh, i think it actually is is quite clever in a way yeah i i would also suggest that this is like a stage one and mm. they're getting it's like getting the low-hanging fruit so you get the dirty lorries you get the dirty buses but you but they are also charging obviously a lot less for the um vans taxis and private hire ve- private hire vehicles and minibuses that are non-compliant with um whatever the uh, tailpipe emissions are for them that they need to hit mm. uh for 9 pound a day so again that that hits another sector which would be in those in the areas that's defined on the map that is in the show notes would be in those areas quite a lot and therefore helping to contribute more to the um to the emissions in that area but you can easily see that in a couple of years this could be rolled out to cars as well as particularly as the government's plans for um it becoming a no ice cars being sold or vehicles being sold post 
purely been sold post 2030 comes closer to being. People will be transferring to hybrids and cleaner vehicles. So yeah. it, it, it doesn't become as big a shock to locals to do that. And, and I think they, from all the ones we've discussed, this seems to be done quite sensibly. I know the Road Holage Association is kicking up. Yeah, understand. Yes, of course no. they are. Yes, <laughs> um, th- there are also grants available uh, for owners to replace uh, vehicles. So if you're a van driver, you can claim up to four and a half thousand pounds. HGV owners twenty thousand and up to 30, 35 thousand for bus and coach operators. So. You know, four and a half thousand is a decent uh, is a decent deposit uh, towards a much newer vehicle, or even a completely complete much newer vehicle, uh, really. So, um, but so I, yes, but I will yeah. say that one of the complaints is a couple of the roads that they're picking up a bit similar to the Bristol complaints that these are through routes that just happen to be cutting in the edge of the map. But with Bath, I don't know. There's much they can do about it. No, it's so long since I've been. I've only ever been to Bath by train, so yeah. uh, so it's I, like I with Bristol. Know, one of the routes there isn't really a way around that. The other way, the they could have changed the map, but mm, it, it is. I mean, it is what it is, and it's in there. Yeah. Road haulage companies will just pass on that to the customer. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah, you have to. So. Next up. Uh, there was consultation. You remember we urged people to to give their views and opinions uh, in response uh, to ending the sale of new petrol, diesel, and hybrid cars and vans. Uh, they've published their outcome and their response to that. The, I mean, there are many words, as you would expect from the response, um, and there is an executive summary, which there's a link to in the show notes. But... Uh, but there's two things from that. Uh, instead of it being 2035 for the phase-out sale of all new petrol, diesel cars, and vans, uh, it's going to be 2030. So obviously not enough people spoke up at the time. No. Uh, step two is all new cars and vans to be fully zero emission at the tailpipe by 2035. What I hear you cry are that is there going to be in the five years intervening well, uh, the answer when you read a little bit further through the response is they're not really sure yet. <laughs> they are going to be between, uh, it says here, there's a paragraph, between 2030 and 2035, new cars and vans can be sold if they have significant zero emission capability, which would include some plug-in and full hybrids. The definition of significant zero emission capability will be consulted on later this year. I so bet they don't know yet. match Germany. Because uh, if you notice the mileage range of EV only and hybrids is increasing because Germany is saying, I think they want something like 80 kilometers or it was, or 80 miles, something, something like that. Well, that's 40 something miles. Yeah. So it could be kilometers then. Yeah. So, so it'd be, so 80, 80 kilometers seems about right. Uh, so I'm sure that that'll be what it is. Um, the, the key word in there is going to be, <laughs> significant yeah it, it's going to be the definition of significant is going to be going to be what what kicks up between the lawyers but um but yeah that's what they're that's what they're saying uh if you want to read more it says link in the show notes now uh there is a petition if you don't like the fact that not that maybe you didn't 
give your opinion the first time around. People are trying to that try to run a petition. I believe it has. It was approaching the ten thousand mark, mm. maybe past it. Start last week. Um, if that's your kind of thing, then then do go and do go and and uh, do go and vote for it. Now there were only fourteen hundred and seventy eight responses submitted, so of which thirteen hundred and five were from individuals and one hundred and seventy three were from organisations. So, you know. I imagine that the response will be, well, you had your chance. Yes. So folks, we, we do try and, we do try and make the, make people aware of these things. Uh, you know, um, do when they give us, a, when government gives us the chance to actually have a say, then, then have it. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I'm going to take us on to new news and good news for Dagenham, because Ford has chosen uh, the site to make the new transit engines. Uh, and a lot of that will be exported to Turkey, where the vans themselves are obviously made. Uh, and I believe I saw somewhere on Twitter that apparently that makes up something in the region of 10% of exports to Turkey or something just over ten percent of the balance trade or something to, to Turkey is it'll be yeah yeah so that's it, that sh- gives you an indication of how important it is to this country uh, <laughs> that that happens and how much that plant actually produces so that's that's great news that it's another uh, an, another location when we've had plenty you know too many sites being told us we have to downsize and things like that and then there's obviously the the um the uncertainty at Ellesmere port still ongoing so uh that is good to hear these engines by the way are for the trans for not just the transit custom that's the middle size transit uh but also the forthcoming uh Volkswagen variant version mm-hmm. uh uh as well uh, because they're going to be based on the same platform and obviously have the same powertrain, um, so yeah, that's going to be that's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, because uh, Ford also talked about how their next um, next generation of transits are going to be hybrid and electrified, and yeah, well, the same vehicle is going to be available in uh, electric van, plug-in hybrid, pure hybrid, and straight-up diesel. Mm. And obviously, even with the stuff that's coming in that we were talking about just a few minutes ago, then, you know, outside of the UK uh, and in other markets, then diesel will will continue. There's, there's not the same. There aren't going to be those same um, timescales on on, uh, on pure ice. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, right, take us to South Wales then, please. Well, South Wales is the opposite. It's not such good news, I'm afraid, at the St. Athan factory. Uh, Aston Martin is downsizing the production line workforce for the dbx uh and that is to um uh, that's in line with its new profitability goals and you know obviously new owners uh the 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 strolls uh, and all of that so so yes they it's they are they're downsizing now it's expected that 95 full-time workers uh will be made redundant uh with a just about just over a hundred uh, agency staff uh, as well. Um, 
that might return that might go back up again later in the year um because they'll be introducing a a hybrid version of the of the dbx as well which will also be built there on the flip side they announced that uh they announced that the electric uh aston martins which people had I think we discussed it last week, actually. Mm-hmm. People have muttered, uh, we're going to be built in Germany, or actually can be built in the UK. But we covered that. Yep. Right. Uh, I'm going to stick with EV-ness, though. Uh, and this time it's about charging. And this is not the usual uh, charging problems that come out. Um, this is actually uh, to do with disabled drivers. And somebody's taken the time to ask disabled drivers what they think about charging setups. Uh, and, and charging points, and it turns out that they're all um, that there's a quite a number of them that are worried about the accessibility. Uh, mm. As we know, a lot of these charging places aren't covered; they're open to the uh, environment, and there's lots of curbs around them and things like that. Um, so, which I d- just didn't appreciate until I started reading this. It, it's not just that; it's curbs, it's bollards, it's if you've got arthritis, then sometimes it can need a fairly hefty tug. Mm. and push to put you know the 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 plugs in and out uh, depending on the vehicle and the machine and all these kind of things not just that but the cables are big and heavy yeah it hadn't really occurred to me until until i started reading this and then just thinking of the number of trip hazards and awkward things and what if you don't park the car in just the right place and sometimes it's a stretch with the cables there's there's actually a, an awful lot here um and i think that the it was it was survey it, the survey was commissioned by a pop-up charger provider called urban foresight um but the research was actually by the research institute for disabled consumers yeah cuz cuz our uh, the our morrisons has got two points which is what i used to mm. charge the ionic last time i had one and i i was walking past there the other week and i saw that there was a, a hybrid um audi and it was parked partly over both bays. Hmm. And there's only two bays. And then you're straight into the normal car park. There's not like a big separation. And on one side, there's you're actually, if you use the car parking space properly, you, you probably open the door into the hedge that's there and the big curb. Yeah. And on the other side, you're right up against cars. So if somebody just decides they're going to park across the two, there's only one person who can was, use it. Yeah. Um, yes. And now... The, that's uh, uh, something that Bjorn Nyland uh, mentions quite a lot, or, or has certainly covered in his videos in, in in Norway, his EV videos in Norway, which is that the marking out of the bays does not necessarily correspond in any way, shape, or form with where you should actually park <laughs> to to be able to access the charging port on your car. And there's so little standardization of where the charging ports are, yeah, yeah, that it doesn't. That it's almost impossible. So I, I'm watching a review of the i of the ID four earlier on, and you know there it's it's on the rear wing because in it, it's a bit like what side your charge your your, your fuel door is on <laughs> on the yeah. internal combustion engine cars because it depends on where the cars come from. Mm. So in the US, for example. Oh, no, but that doesn't even follow with Tesla because Tesla, they're on the rear wing. But on so many cars, they're right on the front in the middle, which is great if you're someone who drives forwards into into parking spots. If you're me and you don't drive forward into parking spots, 
because you want to be able to get out more safely and all these other good things about you know, road safety that, that, that reversing to parking spots gives you, then then it's much harder when they're on the front mm. and you've got to sort of nose right in and then sometimes they're on the wing and they're off to one side and halfway up and it's just really hard to, to work it out. And sometimes then the charge unit is on the wrong side you know, it's not even like a petrol pump where you can decide which side you're going to go to. Yeah. Um. It's you know the charge unit's non side, or it's too close to something else, or all these other things, and that plus you know uh, a disability, uh, you know, be it arthritis, be it a wheelchair user, or any of these things, it's it's a total sod. Frankly, they need they need to be the same. They need to be marked out as though it's. Um, a disabled bay, but on both sides, because a lot of the disabled bays, you can get away with just having one side mm. as the extra width. It needs the it needs double width all the way around it, just to give people that ability to move around the vehicle. And if someone doesn't quite park straight and all that sort of stuff, it does. But it requires places and car parks giving up an extra space and that could be used by somebody else you know twice a year or something so (laughs) you know that's where it gets that's where that's where it starts to get tricky but but yeah i think this is a really this as ever it's opened my eyes to something which i hadn't even realized was an issue yeah or i'd sort of only vaguely realized it was an issue so it's a good one that i think yep that is a a good one that is cool continue to keep us sparked with interest more charging more charging, everyone. Um, the GridServe is teaming up with Ecotricity. And by teaming up, I mean buying 25% of, uh, of the electric highway or the electric bridleway, as some of us think of it. Uh, <laughs> I think you'd be, adver- <laughs> be quicker Which they horse. still advertise. I noticed as well as in, 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 the, in the press release, it still describes it as... I've lost it now. It still describes it as Europe's first nationwide charging thing from 2011 it's like yeah and it's not been ruddy well upgraded since um but uh itachi capital uk who are a major shareholder in GridServe, are pouring quite a lot of money in here to hopefully get well no in order to get a significant upgrade to the electric highway, many charges of which haven't been upgraded since the dawn of time, to basically replace all the existing charges with new ones, which might work, uh, and also to to add six to twelve new three hundred and fifty kilowatt hour uh, no kilowatt pardon me uh, high power charging units as well at each of the at each of the service stations, which is which is significant. Uh, as well as upgrading the network, they're also going to give you 24-7 support as part of this <laughs> investment, which is very good because previously people have only ever used motorways uh, between uh, during office hours during the week and not on Sundays because, you know, why would anybody want to actually drive anywhere on a Sunday and then have trouble with manky old chargers? Mm. So in case you can't tell, I think this is very good news because it lessens the reliance on pure ecotricity and their obvious lack, you know, their their distinct lack of investment over the last little while because I just don't think they can make it pay, to be honest. I don't think – I think it probably can be made to pay, but I don't think they've got the finances 
to get to the point where they can do that. Now they've got this extra invents investment from GridServe and also from Hitachi as well, who are also a, a shareholder. Um, that's that's going to help put in the the um, super fast chargers or whatever we're calling them this week. Um, mm. the, the mega fast charge, who knows, whatever. But giga chargers. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> You know, stop putting Giga in front of the normal words, everybody. Just stop it now. Alien <laughs> dreadnought charges. We don't like have to follow that convention that is made up by marketing of one company. Um, mm. It's just a factory. But <laughs> what uh, what I will say here is as well that they have to do something because they've now actually got competition and the government has openly said we're looking at uh, allowing others to have access mm. to the motorways. So. From a motorway point of view, which is, um, I think, is an obvious place to get right if they can get that right for people to then start saying, oh, actually, we can do this. Well, that's it. The trouble is the first time you leave your house with an EV and you go to try and charge on the motorway and it's a complete and total disaster, then that's it. You've had enough. You've crossed your arms. You might as well be a motoring journalist. Yes, Absolutely no, absolutely. I to- totally agree. And I mean, what was the the hardest time when charging around Britain was you trying to get back home? That was me trying to get back home, and that was at the top. Yeah, and that was at the top of the M6 Tall, well known, uh, well known area in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the, this is good, and is is only going to help things. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm all for that. All for agree. That. So, so tell us about Oxford then. Well, More, lots of zero emission use tonight. I'm afraid, everyone. Yes. Uh, Oxford is going to implement what it calls a zero emission zone from August. Now, one, when we go through this, we question the zero emission bit. Um, But two, initially, this is only um, following the final round of public consultation. So it's not actually been fully approved by the council, uh, either Oxford County or Oxford City Council, but it is expected to be approved and it's due to be created in August this year. Um, so they're going to follow, obviously, we've talked about Bath, and then we mentioned a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, I think it was, Birmingham's, Birmingham is coming in in the 1st of June. Yes. Um, because, you know, we are we are travelling more, so our, our um, emissions have gone up um, back in the cities where they were down to virtually nothing um, this time mm. last year. So something has to be done. Now, uh What's happening in Oxford is they are going to, or what has been agreed by the public consultation, is zero emission vehicles will be able to use the zone, which is only a couple of streets at the moment, uh, free mm-hmm. of charge. But all of the vehicles will be charged between 2 and £10 per day to enter the area. Uh, and then from it is suggested from August 2025 that that will be increased or basically doubled for everything. So from four yeah. pounds to 20 pounds. Um, so ultra low emission vehicles. So that's at the moment that's counted as anything less than 75 grams per kilometer of CO2. That'll start at the two pound charge. And yeah. That's where, that's really where they're coming from, but you can get discounts, can't you? That's yeah, you can get discounts and it's only 7am to 7pm as well. Seven days a week, seven days a week, 365 days a year, but still, you know, they haven't done the uh, full London yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not yet. The, the thing is that Oxford, to be perfectly frank, is a horrible place to drive into anyway. And they do have a significant park and ride set up already. 
So they do have a certain amount of infrastructure there, so it's not just all of a sudden, ah, oh, we're going to charge everyone who comes in here. Um, and it is a very small area at the moment. Yeah, it's, so. it's talking about expanding to the the rest of the city, but oh, no doubt. Initially, still a terrible place to go. Well, yeah, I have no, I have no desire to go there. I have no need. Um, but initially, it's only it's like a couple of streets, maybe a handful at most. So. How much effect it will make is very minimal, really. Yes. Uh, we had an, uh, my employer had an, uh, an office in in Oxford for about six weeks. I think I think it was as long as that. <laughs> um, the absolute abject refusal of people to go there because it was so hard to get to, <laughs> amongst other things, was um, yeah meant it didn't last for very long. Anyway, that's just about halfway through. Uh, well, no, we're well over halfway through, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but uh, it's still time for Guilt Minute. Uh, that's a quick break in the show in which we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. If you feel like the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, and you can become a patron. The different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. Uh, we also have a small range of merchandise available from our website, Teespring Store, uh, from stickers to mugs and T-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash and we completely understand, then you can help us by subscribing for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and some of you do, then thank you so very much. Uh, the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes. And a special welcome to new patrons. Ah, yes. Yes. Thank you very much for thank you patronizing us. Yes. <laughs> that phrase I can never remember that. Yes. Absolutely. Right. There is no uh, Formula E or WRC news. It's all still between uh, races and events. So there's a lot of a lot of articles about the old, oh, what we've learnt and speculation. So none of that was really interesting enough for us to pass on. But there is obviously the sad news that uh, Murray Walker has died at the age of 97. Now, whilst we are not massive, huge fans and followers of Formula One. He was the voice of motorsport as we grew up, and I think for most people uh, who listen to us as well. So, of course, we have to we have to mark the, the sad news that he has passed on. Um, there is an excellent article linked in the show notes from written by James Atwood uh, on Autocar that uh, we thoroughly recommend that you go and read. But I think really what we all need to do is, whilst it is sad, I think we should just celebrate how happy and wonderful his life was and how what an impact he had on all of us i think anyone that's done watched any motorsport or had any interest in motorsport it'll probably be because of murray walker yeah ab- absolutely i mean i mean not not i'm not a huge f1 fan these days but i've always been a murray walker fan uh and just yeah it's, the that enthusiasm was 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 catching and and he just seemed like a he lived one heck of a life, uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry to sorry to to hear of his passing. Obviously, mm-hmm. right. You need to take us to our lunchtime read. Do lunchtime read this week is by Steph Schrader, uh, and it's published on the Drive, and it's a story about um, about a study <laughs> about drivers new to sort of automated driver assistance. 
and how there is this learning curve that people go through. And actually, if you're new to it, then you don't necessarily take in the environment in quite the same way as you should, probably, or in quite the same way as people who've actually become a bit used to 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 some of the automated assistance. What I'm talking about here is is what they're saying as as level two. Uh, so you do need That's to have full self-driving then. Yeah, as no, confirmed. Means, as confirmed. <laughs> no, it means you have to keep your hands on the wheel, your eyes on the road, and be ready to react. Mm-hmm. But the car will hold a steady pace. It'll keep you towards the middle of your lane, provided nothing untoward happens. Uh, and what they found was that there was this 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 curve by people who. Once people are used to a system like that, then actually it does heighten the perception of what's going on around them, provided they're using it properly. When people are new to it, they sort of fixate on the system and they don't really pay as much attention to what's going on around about. Uh, and how they tested this, how the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety tested this, was to strap a large pink teddy bear in a high-vis jacket to the back of another vehicle <laughs> and to expose the drivers to it five times for about 30 seconds a time over the course of an hour's drive. And that this vehicle would come along, pull in front, wait for a bit, and then go off and join the rest of the traffic and then something, you know, and a different vehicle would come or whatever. And, uh, and at the end, they said, you know, asking questionnaires about how people had felt how they'd got on how they felt they'd done was there anything unusual they'd noticed uh, during the drive and and just the segmentation of, of of very new people to the system just didn't notice a three four foot tall pink teddy bear strapped to the back of another vehicle uh and yeah it's really interesting i i don't think i've given away everything includes such great lines as figure two teddy bear stimulus and a picture of Subaru Outback with a teddy bear almost the same height as it's strapped to the back um but it's it's really interesting about even about people with no experience a little bit of experience and quite a lot of experience using using the 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 assist systems Mm. uh, and that it's something that people have to get used to and once you get used to it then it, it you can settle and actually be more uh, observant um but yeah yeah interesting thing uh, interesting follow-up just just yeah just an interesting article which is is pretty pretty illuminating yep i no, probably waffled too much about that sorry folks no it is a good one that one i did enjoy that one uh thanks to chris ratcliffe for uh throwing it our way oh. and reminding us that it was out there oh yeah thanks chris i, I meant to say that sorry Indeed. thanks andrew so uh list of the week and it is from electrifying.com. And it is 10 charging facts that every electric car owner should know. We thought if we were going this far into EV and electric charging this week, we might as well just go the whole hog and just well. saturate the show, everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? <laughs> um, but this is 10 things that that is actually a pretty decent list. And it's it's not sensationalist. And it's written by people who understand real life, what real expectations are, and have used the uh, charging networks. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually a decent <laughs> it's actually a decent list, which uh, if you've not tried, 
any uh, of the public uh, charging network, you should read through because it will give you a hint of the things you need to pay attention to and the think, slight adaptations you need to make in your behaviour. I think it should be printed out and handed. To, people have to sign that they've read it before receiving an EV press car. <laughs> One thing well, about yes. it, it is, <laughs> it, it's worth mentioning, it is uh, sponsor content from BP Pulse, by the way, which is, of course, Polar. Mm-hmm. Probably formerly polar so just to make sure that you are aware is is sponsored content but that doesn't stop it being good content no not at all is there one out of these 10 that you thought yes absolutely more than any of the others uh charging to full isn't a great use of your time okay number five um charge for what you need especially if you're mid-journey so just because it says it says it takes 11 hours to recharge this from a home charger does not mean that you have to hang around for however long or an hour or whatever if you only really need 30 or 40 miles uh, of boost. So, so yeah. yeah. No, that is a good one. Yes. So do click the link in the show notes to have a look at this, please. Yes. Uh, and finally this week uh, is from Keith W.R. Jones at Car Magazine. Uh, and it's his article he he released at the weekend called "Hello, my name's Keith, and I'm a car enthusiast." Yeah, it's it's about the trials and tribulations of being a car enthusiast as opposed to a footballist or or any of these things. Uh, and yeah, uh, and and being able to say that in public, uh, and the way the world treats you as a result, or can treat you as a result. <laughs> really nice piece. Yes. And it just it says lots about Keith really and who's who's a lovely chap. So um so yes, worth worth a few minutes of your time just having a little flick through that. Absolutely. Uh, I was gonna follow up on last week's and finally. I know okay. this is follow up at the very end of the show, but it really didn't fit in with the stuff at the beginning. I watched <laughs> The Love Bug at the weekend. And how was it for you, Alan? I really enjoyed it. I think Jason was right. Good. There we go. It was a thoroughly enjoyable movie with some racing in there it was a bit silly it's from 1968 and you know uh it's an american movie from them but but you know what it was actually really good what i then made the mistake of was watching the second film herbie rides again okay so is that less the other good night, it's awful it's <laughs> terrible did you watch it's it all really the way through grim. to make sure how terrible it was, or yes, did you stop? Because, oh, yeah. Yes, because my dinner was taking so long to cook on Sunday. Uh, uh, so, but next up is Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo, which from memory was my favourite. Now, did friend of the show, Rich Gooding, did I see him chatting to you via that there Twitter about which which he felt were the better ones? Yes. It was the love bug in Monte Carlo. I think goes bananas, and then okay. whatever the last one was, and then there was some debate over the over full throttle or something. But I don't think, mercifully, that that's in the five, the five box set that I bought. <laughs> I should point out buying the box set of five was a pound more expensive than buying a single movie. So I thought, what the heck? I'll just have the whole lot of them because I'm a completionist anyway. Tune in next week to find out how Alan got yeah. on with the next movie. <laughs> Never mind motorsport. We'll have Herbie Sport. Each week I'll discuss a Herbie film. And what the, I'll tell you what yes. I haven't managed to do, and that's listen to the auto movie podcast uh, when they covered The Love Bug. 
and I wasn't oh, going to okay. listen before. I'll listen afterwards, so I so I can uh, I can shout at Chris and Martin when I disagree with them, which I do quite a lot. Okay, generally, which they look forward. Well, to. generally, I've never <laughs> overthought stuff as much as they do. <laughs> yes. So I have said this to Chris before, so it's no. Uh, so yeah, I'm not just sitting here bad mouthing them. I promise. <laughs> I think that pretty much covers the parish notes as well, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> it does. The only other thing we were going to do is remind people that Top Gear exists. Uh, it was back yes. on Sunday night, very quietly, uh, uh, with, I believe, now I haven't got around to watching it yet, uh, with partly because I was watching um, Herbie Rides again, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, with a, a story about dad's cars and stuff. Um, yes. and memories uh, of from when you're small and all these kind of things, which everybody... I, I've not seen anybody say anything bad about it. Uh, so that's, got, no, to it was, a, it was that's a, got to be a good thing. Yeah, I think I think the mix is decent. I, I enjoy all three presenters. They all bring something slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's. I just find it an enjoyable watch. Yeah. I don't take it too seriously, which I think perhaps some people, when they get a bit negative... Do so. Just remember, it's an entertainment. Yes, show. if you want nerdy car news, then you listen to the Motoring Podcast. Quite. And if you want really in-depth nerdy reviews, then you can watch lots of stuff on on YouTube and stuff. So, so the, there's there's lots for all of us, everyone. Just maybe not on yep. primetime BBC One. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's us for the week, I think. So, yep. uh, don't forget, between now and next week, you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Please remember our Patreon offer, available at motoringpodcast.com slash support. And please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know your breakdown of the Herbie movies when you finally completed your completionistness, what would be the best way for them to do that? <laughs> best way to do that, I guess, is going to be Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B R A D L E Y. As I say, we'll be back soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>